Well, hello everybody. This is Data Driven Formula One, and again, Patrick Hens and Gana Pogrebna here. Hello, hello. hello Gana, everybody at home, or uh, wherever you see us, hear us. Yeah, it's good as, as always. Good, good, good to see everyone, and uh, especially great to talk to Patrick about today's uh, character, which is Phil Hill. And uh, as usual, when it comes to Ferrari drivers, I'm not very knowledgeable. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe the only driver I know quite a lot about is Michael Schumacher, <laughs> unsurprisingly. But um, yeah, so today we're talking about Phil Hill, uh, not to be confused with Graham Hill or Damon Hill. This is the American guy, um, you know, born again in 19, uh, in 1927 uh, and he passed away only in 2008. Yeah, so he is... Uh, quite a, uh, li lived a very long life. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I think this is also something what we will uh, speak about his uh, uh, character a little bit uh, later on, because um, maybe he wasn't such an aggressive uh, driver as many others. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and practically as conclusion, he won three times uh, Le Mans. So maybe he was a little bit more an expert on endurance uh, racing, even if he was also successful in uh, Formula One. Yeah, if uh, like Patrick, if we could go back to the previous photo, yeah, I just want to say we were when we talked about uh, this episode with Patrick before uh, we started recording, and basically we discussed how it's very difficult to find any photos of this guy. <laughs> I mean, there is there is one photo from kind of later years on Wikipedia, which kind of we will also we will also demonstrate here, kind of in the public the photo in the public domain. But when even even when you try to find like some pr proprietary photos, it's very difficult to find anything. I mean, he's always at the driving wheel, so it's not, not, or, you know, inside the circuit somewhere. So you, you can't really find like casual photos of him, like we saw with previous drivers, you know, like we could actually find some maybe childhood photos and, and all that kind of stuff. So Phil Hill wasn't definitely the, the guy who really liked cam cameras. And uh, you mostly could see him, uh, if, you know, all the photos that we have, he's actually inside the car driving or he is working. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a very uh, outgoing person. Uh, so let's say for a, a driver, he was uh, quite uh, shy because normally most of the drivers have been quite outgoing uh, characters going to the extreme and uh, Phil Hill was driving not that often, maybe 100% uh, at the limit, uh, which made him a very successful drivers, uh, driver in endurance uh, racing like Le Mans, the 12 hours of uh, Sebring. And um, also this was of, uh, surely a factor which contributed that he lived uh, a long life in opposite to many other drivers um of that time mm -hmm. and if i'm not mistaken i might be mistaken there but he um, actually when he started for ferrari initially he was i mean we will talk about this we'll come to this right but um he was um he was first uh, like a test driver right is that correct so he wasn't really like competing for quite a while uh, or am i, I don't know, but at least he started um, um for Ferrari, uh, maybe earlier in endurance racing before he released mm, yeah. to the shorter Formula One. 
Yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, and again, this is this is absolutely amazing because this guy is from Miami, Florida. I mean, this should have been like really, you know, uh, it's it's completely the opposite of what we would expect from kind of stereotypical person from Miami. But uh, um, you know, um, definitely, you know, very sort of serious, um, methodical kind of person. Um, and, um, you know, nevertheless, uh, really interesting things happened in his career, even some scandals that we're going to discuss. So, um, yeah. Um, but, you know, in a sense, uh, and another, yeah, and another important thing that, you know, uh, Patrick actually mentioned here on the slide is that he is uh, the only American-born driver <laughs> to win Formula One championship. It, uh, that still kind of remains, uh, I think, right? This this sort of, um, yeah, the, the, this is still the case. So there the was, uh, um, yeah, there was someone else whose name, um, ah, well, okay, you do have it there, like Mario and, and Andretti, yeah. yeah. That's another person who was American, but he was not American-born, so he was a naturalized citizen. Um, yeah. But, I mean, this is the only American, American-American person. <laughs> yeah, uh, so right, so, uh, he, lived, uh, he was born in Miami, but later lived in uh, California, so he really... Uh, uh, was uh, used uh, to sun uh, and uh, the coastal states. Um, as you know, Formula One um, is not that popular in the US than in Europe. And nevertheless, we had uh, quite a, a number of uh, good uh, drivers in the end of the 50s, beginning of the uh, 60s, for example, also uh, Dan uh, Gurney. Uh, and uh, he, but he was the first one who had been at the right time in the right car, which is always needed. And uh, and this combined uh, with his uh, dra uh, his uh, driving skills um, supported that he became the '61 uh, champion. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, of course, uh, the twenty the twenty four hour Le Mans had uh, must must have had a lot more Americans, right? Yes. Um, so there is this uh, famous uh, thing with uh, Ford, versus <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> and right. like, so Americans definitely competed uh, in Le Mans. And I'm sure that I'm not actually knowledgeable on the stats, so you have to forgive me, but I'm pretty sure there were some winners uh, right. of 24 Le Mans who were Americans. But um, yeah, so he, but he is uh, exceptional. He was exceptionally good at that. He was just you know, to win Le Mans three times, I mean, that's, that's a lot. <laughs> exactly, and also uh, he was very successful at the 12 hours from uh, Sebring, where you see here the photo in the Testarossa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, you know, the, 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 the person who could really drive for, for a very, very long time. And as we explained before, in Formula One, a lot of drivers actually also competed in Le Mans, and some actually came from Le Mans to, you know, Formula One, to compete in Formula One. And, um, you know, this was quite a, uh, uh, quite a usual pathway. And we already, when we discussed the uh, 1950s with Patrick, we mentioned that um, 
you know, what happened in Le Mans was uh, actually affecting the, for example, safety, you know, uh, regulations in, uh, in uh, Formula One and uh, kind of the big accidents also affected the way, you know, uh, the way Formula One was, you know, conducted and, and, and ran back, back in the day. So it was all like very, very connected back then. Excellent. Currently, I bet uh, you know some of the Formula One Formula One fans do not even know what twenty four hour Le Mans is. <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> yeah, but but uh, I mean, still um, a lot of the drivers uh, uh, see the uh, the importance, the image of Le Mans. And we have, I mean, we have the triangle, the three races, which uh, the most uh, important one. We have the Grand Prix of Monaco, the twenty four hours of uh, Le Mans and the 500 miles of Indianapolis. And for example, we see Alonso uh, who had the dream to win all of these uh, three uh, races. Uh, he won Formula One of uh, Monaco. He won uh, Le Mans, so he's still trying on the 500 miles on Indianapolis. Yes. <laughs> for, for better or worse. <laughs> I, I, uh, yes. I mean, uh, now that he's changed uh, to back to Renault, I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know if he can continue in uh, Indianapolis as in the past it was with his McLaren team, but mm. we will see if he still will reach this. Yes, time will tell. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, what you already mentioned, born in 1927 in uh, Miami, but then uh, the family moved uh, to the other extreme, uh, to Santa Monica, California, where he lived practically his whole uh, life. Uh, also interesting, uh, he was uh, maybe some of the smartest uh, guys um, in the races. Uh, so he finished high school and uh, even started uh, studying uh, business administration at the University of Southern California, where he stayed for two years, uh, even when uh, became a member of the famous uh, Kappa Sigma, sorry, Kappa Sigma fraternity. Mm -hmm. But then uh, he left the university uh, to pursue his dream uh, auto racing. And similar to others, uh, uh, for example, Bruce, um, no, sorry, uh, Jack Brabham, uh, mm -hmm. he started uh, becoming a mechanic working on a race car. And uh, with this, he became uh, already in young years uh, involved. And as it was uh, necessary uh, to become a famous uh, race car driver, you had to move to Europe, particularly to England. And uh, he started as a trainee as a Jaguar in 1949. And uh, slowly he worked um, his way up, uh, having a good uh, reputation, and then signed uh, with uh, Ferrari in 1956. Mm -hmm. uh, is did, a long time. So, so did, did, do you think it had to do, uh, it had, well, it probably had to do with the fact uh, that they lost Alberto Ascari and uh, so that, you know, in, in uh, yeah, basically, yeah, in 1956 and all that, so um do you think that so because like we we've um, as we discussed originally there were primarily italian drivers kind of driving for italian teams right and then 
it, it opened uh, opportunity for, I mean, the tragic, tra tra rather tragic events opened an opportunity for drivers of other <laughs> nationalities to, to be sort of working and driving for so far, I started quite early to looking for good uh, drivers mm -hmm. on the island. I mean, we had uh, Mike Horton, mm -hmm. for example, also yes. at the end of the 50s. Yes, exactly, exactly. And uh, as we discussed before, as well, Stirling was, uh, was hoping <laughs> to, to get a drive. And uh, with his dad, they traveled all the way to Italy just to find out that they're not going to be driving. <laughs> <laughs> <day>. yeah. <laughs> but also, as we discussed, I mean, practically he had a drive uh, for the 62 mm. season. Yeah. But un unfortunately, due to his accident, he wasn't uh, able, able to start uh, that uh, year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, but I mean, it, it kind of, uh, you know, got, uh, uh, yeah, so, so he's, uh, in, in, when coming back to Phil Hill's career, um, yeah, indeed, that's a cool thing that, you know, he went to, he went to university, which was quite unusual. I mean, the majority of drivers that we've discussed, uh, they either went to some sort of kind of community college or equivalent, and uh, yeah. the studies were very, very kind of related to engineering, right? So in, 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 in uh, Phil Hill's case, it was completely different, it kind of reminds me you know, I have this friend who used to be a, um, an athlete, so he just uh, sort of uh, did some windsurfing, and then at the age of 40, he decided that he wanted to be an economist, <laughs> you know, for no good reason, like he just, he just one day woke up and decided to do a PhD in economics, so that's kind of, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a sort of similar decision, but of course, you know, he, um, you know, he like, I mean, he liked cars from, from uh, early age, obviously. And, uh, you know, growing up in the States uh, helps because you can drive, <laughs> you can start driving relatively early. Uh, and, uh, 15, depending uh, in which state you are. Yes, precisely. And, uh, you know, that helped. But then, uh, you know, um, to kind of completely change your career and go as a, uh, yeah, effectively as an apprentice <laughs> to to Jaguar is a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of a, it's quite a bit of a shift. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and you see here, I mean, he started at uh, Jaguar, a mm -hmm. team which uh, up to uh, the 1960s was not in um, Formula One but successful in the endurance races. Yeah, and uh, we saw like yeah, we saw Jaguar cars quite a lot uh, throughout uh, you know this series, and uh, you know even uh, coming back to Mike Horton's death, who you know who died actually in a Jag, um, you know definitely beautiful cars that they produced, and uh, I'm sure there was a lot to learn uh, from Jaguar. Yeah. But he also got lucky because eventually he went to Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, practically he made uh, his debut in Formula One in uh, already in 1958. Yeah, that's, uh, what, uh, that's what, what I was thinking, you know, that's what I was asking. Like, I don't actually know, like, actually, guys, if, if any of you know this, uh, so what, what was happening between 56 and 58? So I thought he was kind of this, uh, you know, third driver or, you know, sort of testing person. Yeah, I assume he was more uh, uh, active in the endurance races. Mm -hmm. 
as you remember, um, uh, and as we discussed, uh, uh, the race teams in opposite to today, they're not uh, limited to one series. We had uh, Ferrari, for example, is active in Formula One in the famous uh, Le Mans, Sebring, but also uh, still uh, in the classic Italian uh, street races like the Mille Miglia, Targa Florio. So they need a big number of uh, drivers and normally you start in the uh, lower uh, level races and uh, if uh, you are successful then you get invited to let's say Le mm. or Sebring or up to Formula One. Yeah, yeah and normally I mean uh, these guys are often in, in quite a few different events but also in Formula Two, right? Um, so, um, but I don't know about like what, you know, what was happening to, to, to Phil Hill when he, like starting from when he signed up and when he actually yeah. had his, his debut, that's what I'm like. Yeah, and, and you're right also, uh, they still already had existing the Formula 2 and there had been uh, the Formula 2 uh, uh, Ferraris. Mm -hmm. Yes. So there, yes. Are, there had been different opportunities what you can do before mm -hmm. you enter Formula One or, or Le Mans or other mm -hmm. famous races. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, but inter interesting and also uh, quite usual at that time, drivers hadn't um, been exclusive at uh, one team. So if uh, Ferrari, for example, you not offered you a possibility for Formula One, uh, you could start uh, with Maserati by your own uh, Maserati. As, it, uh, as we saw it often, there had been a uh, higher number of private uh, Maserati teams in the Formula One, practically until the beginning of the 1960s. And here uh, he, for example, he drove uh, together with Oliver Jendebin, very famous and uh, experienced uh, driver. And uh, already early, he became uh, the first American-born winner also of the 24 hours of uh, Le Mans. So even if we had Americans before, also here, uh, he was the, fir the first uh, American born. This, uh, this uh, uh, skills, especially for difficult conditions like uh, driving at the night in the rain, and uh, especially the combination of driving in the rain in the night, which is even special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so again, kind of coming back to uh, the driving ability and uh, you know probably this was the reason why he won uh, Le Mans three times <laughs> exactly you know he, he was just very good at this long long distance racing mm -hmm. exactly so first time he won it in 61 and 62 uh, the same time years where he also was active for Ferrari in uh, Formula 1 uh, after 62, uh, he left um, Ferrari maybe for uh, different uh, reasons. Uh, first of all, I mean, the Formula One season was not very successful uh, in 62. This for, again, for a number of uh, arguments. Uh, first of all, the team was, uh, uh, I'm sure, negatively impressed by the fatal accident of uh, from Wolfgang von Trips, where not only the driver died, but also 15 uh, spectators in uh, Monza. It was the last uh, race before the 62 season because Ferrari not went to the final race 
uh, to the US in the 61 season. So you, you stayed with the impression of this big fatal accident the whole time you developed the car, uh, the team for the next season. So this has a big uh, influence. Uh, also, we had uh, problems with the uh, labor union that year. So due to this, uh, Ferrari couldn't uh, participate at uh, two races, which of course also didn't help. And also, and we will discuss it a little bit later, we had the walkout of uh, similar key employees, key uh, engineers, which left Ferrari and due to this, this knowledge uh, had been lost, which could have, with Ferrari could bounce back as they had uh, some very talented um, young engineers in the second room, which stepped up and uh, took over responsibility for the Formula One uh, development, also continued development of the Le Mans cars, but for the 62 season, this was really a negative impact which all factors together lead to a very unsuccessful Formula to, um, One season. Mm -hmm. uh, if uh, something what's quite normal, quite human, if there's no success, uh, of course, the culture, the atmosphere is suffering. Uh, so um, uh, he also had some problems with his race uh, engineers. Uh, in, uh, I think it was one of the Italian uh, races where he uh, complained about the car and the race engineer just answered him that as a Formula One champion, you should be able to shift. To drive, uh, to drive anything. <laughs> Not drive anything, but uh, to correctly <laughs> shift uh, the car. And, uh, and I think this was uh, the last uh, thing which triggered that. Uh, the last straw. With, uh, Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really like this argument. You are the Formula One champion, champion so you should be able to drive just pretty much, <laughs> you know, anything. <laughs> exactly, and uh, this little... Uh, Here's a uh, piece of metal. <laughs> drive. <laughs> exactly, and uh, as he, let's say, uh, left Ferrari uh, a little bit unhappy, uh, not surprisingly, maybe also because he didn't uh, found an, another option and another British team. He uh, went, uh, he joined the uh, rebel employees from RTS uh, and uh, to drive uh, for the 63 season for this uh, completely new team. Unfortunately, without uh, success from the, uh, from the 10 um, races, or they only participated uh, in five. And from the five where he really started, only one uh, race he could uh, finish. And uh, this, I think, was Monza. And uh, he only uh, finished on the 11th position. So really another uh, bad development uh, for him. After already the bad luck in 62, already 63 become worse. Uh, after this, he stayed uh, still 60 until 66. Mm -hmm. in uh, Formula One for different uh, teams. Yeah, this was the Eagle, McLaren Eagle, right? Eagle McLaren. Uh, exactly. Uh, car that was on, yeah, that we have on the slide, yeah. Exactly, um, and then in 67, uh, he uh, practically retired. Interesting, uh, in 66, uh, he uh, had been like the cameraman 
he drove a Ford GT40 prototype in, in uh, races uh, to uh, sh shoot some nice pictures for the movie called uh, Grand Prix. And we will talk about this also a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so I think when he, when he retired, uh, he had a, cl um, a classic uh, renovation mm -hmm. workshop, uh, which was very, very successful. Uh, I think it was called Hill and Wong, right? Wong uh, was like one, one of, like what was his partner. Okay. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so he really d discovered his passion for classic uh, cars and classic uh, racing. So he had this, uh, this company for restoration. Also, he was a, a very um, good uh, expert for classic cars. So he had been a lot of uh, events. And uh, also uh, later after his death, um, his fortunes went into a trust where he, for example, also supports talents who wants to learn car restoration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, 1962. <laughs> in fact, uh, 1960, uh, even uh, 1961, when the problem started, right? And then, yeah. Exactly, the problem started uh, already in uh, 61 and uh, what is also known as the great uh, walkout. Uh, we had a special uh, episode about uh, Enzo Ferrari, so we know he was uh, sometimes uh, not an easy uh, boss, so he had a very direct leadership style and normally he was expecting that uh, that he tells you what to do and uh, you execute uh, this. Uh, not that extreme, maybe as today is the cliche, it was, uh, it was possible to discuss uh, with him and he was also listening to you, at least if you had been inside this personal level of trust. Yeah, uh, I think when we, so just sorry to interrupt uh, Patrick, yeah, but when we discovered, when Patrick was telling us about uh, Enzo Ferrari and Patrick wrote two books. <laughs> Um, about him so um, you know we we actually showed some pictures with Mike Hawthorne and you could actually see how you know kind of Enzo Ferrari sitting in the middle and they all discuss you know uh, with excitement uh, probably the race strategy I don't know some something so you could see that even like you, you, you could tell who is who is the boss like there's still no sort of the, there is no feeling that there is some tension or whatever, you know, like you, you could, you could t tell that everyone is really excited about working with, working yeah, exactly. in a team, working in a team. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, the official reason, um, what was also later communicated is that uh, uh, Enzo's wife, uh, Laura, she was also uh, in a responsible position in Ferrari which is not that surprisingly because at the end it's a family uh, company and uh, these uh, employees hadn't been uh, happy uh, about uh, Laura's uh, decisions. So they wrote a letter and practically uh, made Enzo an uh, ultimatum saying either Laura leaving or we are leaving and, uh, and I mean pushed uh, that way, I, I mean, uh, Enzo Ferrari practically had to back up uh, his own uh, wife and uh, so he not waited until the end of the ultimatum but uh, proactively uh, separated the employees from the 
company. Uh, on the other hand, uh, his marriage with Laura uh, wasn't uh, that happy. There had been a lot of conflicts. So honestly, I would be surprised if this was the only reason um, with investigating a little bit, uh, I mean, I also saw that these employees, they had been quite uh, proactively also developing their own ideas. So something which Enzo maybe wasn't that fond of, and this may be another reason uh, why he decided in favor of his wife instead of uh, these uh, key um, employees. Um, I wonder what uh, what decisions she could have made. <laughs> yeah, so it's quite uh, quite interesting. Like I don't, you know, it, it's uh, uh, yeah. It uh, you you hear a lot about you know tensions, uh, especially like in family businesses. It happens quite often, but uh, you know, you kind of always wonder like why. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. What exactly triggered this this event? Yeah, I mean, but... you hear the different stories. I mean, it seems that also she was very uh, dominant, and so so quite uh, from a, a difficult uh, character, maybe even more difficult than uh, Enzo. So there had been uh, the problems. After all these years, to be honest, it's quite uh, difficult uh, to understand what really was the truth as, uh, as every side gave you uh, different uh, information. Just when you said that she was quite authoritative, I'm just uh, thinking, you know, a person who would come to the factory and say, we are dying all the, or, you know, painting all the cars blue. <laughs> <laughs> from now on or something like that but I mean of course uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were reasons so probably more of uh, you know staff reasons or something like that you know maybe she was kind of maybe yeah. she fired someone or something yeah but the, the point is that it, it led to a serious uh, um, yeah serious crisis uh, you know staff crisis essentially within the company and uh, as a result some key people left. Yeah, and um, uh, similar as uh, Phil Hill also, um, Enzo Ferrari was uh, not an outgoing person, so he personally hated to speak with the press. And due to this, practically, he limited the press conference to once a year. And at this traditional annual Ferrari press conference, he communicated uh, the um, the loss of these uh, employees also as it practically happened before this. So this was really a very traditional event with people coming from all over the world. Uh, for example, who also uh, participated here was uh, Luis Cinetti, who was a long-term friend and maybe the person who uh, convinced Enzo uh, to export his car also to the US as it should develop into a important market uh, for the brand and also uh, Luis uh, Cinetti uh, was the owner of the NART team, the North American uh, racing team, a semi-official Ferrari team, very successful also in endurance races and we will see them also a little bit later in the 1960s as they also had been active in the championship. Mm -hmm. So it was really a great workout because you see here the names of the people who left, who have been most of them really key employees. 
the leader you may say was Geralmo Gardini. He was the commercial director and uh, he was uh, joined by Giotto Bissarini, the director of controlling and testing. Also Bissarini should uh, found uh, later his own uh, sports car company. Yeah, I remember Gardini, yeah, yep. company. Yeah. And uh, Carlo uh, Chitti, he was, uh, Kitty, sorry, uh, he was the director of design and uh, racing. Uh, after the ATS uh, adventure, he would uh, join uh, um, Alfa Romeo and become uh, responsible for their motorsports uh, program, being uh, quite successful in the prototype uh, racing with the famous Tipo uh, 33. And also we have other ones like Manu Della Casa, Fausto Calassi, Romano Tavoni and uh, Enzo Selmi. Uh, here important uh, for our story is uh, Bessarini and Kitty as they would uh, found the ATS company. Practically these two uh, have been involved in the development of the Ferrari 156 Formula One car. And uh, this you can see of course in the design of the ATS 100 which look very similar to the Ferrari. Their problem had been they never could uh, get together a um, relevant budget. And even in, uh, in the beginning of the 1960s without um, adequate budget, it wasn't uh, possible to develop a competitive race car. Yeah, and probably the expectation was that it will be kind of the same as uh, the Ferrari team. And uh, obviously, when you have a new com company, you have to be quite a lot more sort of uh, flexible, right? Yes. And uh, probably put in a lot of hours. And I don't think that these folks were um, ready to do yeah, exactly. that. Yeah, after having quite a comfortable life at Ferrari. Yeah, so uh, these uh, rebel uh, employees had somehow the, this uh, similar background as Phil Hill. Uh, and, and here uh, you see uh, what I've mentioned. Uh, it was the 62 Targa Florio where he requested a change of the gearbox and his race engineer, or was it uh, the team manager, uh, Romolo uh, Tavoni, Uh, who also left Ferrari, by the way, um, that time uh, he just answered that a real champion should know how to shift gears. And I mean, this was practically the last step besides the very unsuccessful 62 season by Phil uh, not only uh, left Ferrari or was, was left, uh, he also the information a little bit uh, different, but that he joined practically this uh, rebel employees to start the uh, RTS adventure. And uh, by the way, ATS, uh, it means Automobili Turismo Sports Nissima, and it's a different company as ATS in the end of the 1980s, beginning of the 90s in Formula One, which was a small German um, race team. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah we, when we discussed 1963 season, we discussed how much this car resembled Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, this is it. Uh, so on your screen, this is this ATS 100K that was driven by Phil Hill in 1963. And yeah, uh, practically was uh, very, very similar to Ferrari car. 
Yeah, exactly. And also what we discussed in the 63 season, uh, uh, RTS, uh, the company went uh, bankruptcy, but uh, maybe two years ago, the brand was uh, uh, reactivated. Uh, and now if you have the budget, you can buy uh, an, an RTS sports car. <laughs> car, very exclusive. Maybe they built, I don't know, 10, 20 a year. So if you have the budget, uh, you can Google uh, this uh, company. Yes. Uh, probably, uh, probably not the wisest investment uh, during the time of COVID, but who knows, you know, maybe it will be so exclusive that, you know, it will be one of a kind. And, uh, exactly. I mean, you, you can be alone in, your, in this car, so no yes. problem. <laughs> yes, very COVID safe. <laughs> If you are alone in this car, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so. I, I think uh, you can. Uh, there can be. You, there are two seats. If I'm correct, if I'm quite sure about that. So, but nevertheless, you can drive it alone if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, and uh, with this, uh, we're coming to the uh, movie Grand Prix from 1966. Uh, uh, quite surprisingly, this is a U.S. Formula One uh, movie. A movie, but uh, didn't help the popularity of the sport in America. <laughs> exactly, yeah. but uh, it uh, did uh, quite uh, good uh, in in the movies. Uh, it was uh, one of the ten highest grossing film of that uh, year, and even won uh, three Academy Awards. So this, this, I'm sure, also thanks. We had a lot of uh, stars participating as I think the leading role was with uh, James Gardner, but we have also, for example, Eva Maria Saint, uh, Yves Montand, Brian Bedford, uh, Jessica Walter, Francoise Hardy, Antonio Sabato and uh, Toshio Mifuno, a very famous Japanese actor who participated, for example, in the movie seven or ten samurai uh, so a very uh, cult movie so we had uh, uh, very famous actors from all over the world uh, mixed up with the appearance of uh, champions like Phil Hill of course as the uh, only US uh, Formula One champion at that time but also Graham Hill we see Fancho again Jim Clark uh, Jochen Rindt, uh, Jack Brabham, so a lot of drivers, which you also uh, can get to know with our special episode here. And also some more like Dan Gurney, Ludovico Scafiotti, Richie Ginter, Joachim Bonnier, Bruce McLaren and uh, Joe Siffert. So really, if you are interested in motorsports, uh, a very interesting movie to see. Unfortunately, it's not directly included in the streaming services, but I think you can see it for a small budget in opposite to the RTS car. I think you can already rent it for $3 with uh, Amazon. Incomparable in price. (laughs) Maybe the first step before you buy the RTS, you can rent that movie. Yes, yes, definitely. As a test drive. <laughs> As a test drive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, indeed, it had so like uh, judging from, I haven't actually seen uh, the film, so I need to see it. Uh, yeah. But uh, judging from uh, the, the drivers that appeared there, I mean, looks like all the stars of the 60s 
I in that film, so you know. Exactly, um, and uh, with this we really come directly to the the cars. Uh, uh, maybe the stars of uh, Formula One, besides the drivers, of course. As we discussed, uh, he started uh, with a private uh, Maserati, uh, but already the same uh, season, uh, he got the opportunity to drive the 156 Formula Two and uh, the 246, so the uh, Formula One car. Mm -hmm. uh, he did quite good. Uh, due to this, he continued with the Ferrari team for quite a while, driving in uh, 59, the 246, and uh, doing the same uh, in the 196 uh, season. Uh, only for one uh, race, uh, he used the Cooper, and this due to the fact as Ferrari traditionally avoided traveling to the US. And uh, in this um, uh, in these opportunities, uh, Ferrari uh, gave their, their drivers the opportunity to look for another seat to drive in the US Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. Then, 61, uh, he won the championship uh, with 156. He stayed uh, one more year driving this, uh, the next uh, version of the 156, but uh, due to the discussed reason without uh, bigger success and uh, in uh, used the opportunity for the US Grand Prix driving a Porsche 804. Then uh, he switched to ATS and beside ATS uh, he also drove a Lotus uh, 24 as, uh, as we have mentioned uh, because ATS wasn't uh, able to participate at all the 10 uh, Grand Prix but only participated at five and uh, in these five uh, Philil was free to look for another car and he had chosen the Lotus. From that, uh, he switched uh, to Cooper, but uh, also as Cooper, it wasn't a big success. Uh, I assume a mixture uh, between uh, the car. As we discussed, for example, in the 63 season, Cooper was unfortunately declining and uh, Phil Hill, as a driver, uh, he was um, maybe a little bit more an expert on the endurance racing. He wasn't that uh, aggressive as many others. And uh, maybe due to this combination of reasons, he never could repeat the success of the, of the 61 season. Then 66, uh, 66 sorry, the last uh, year of uh, his career in Formula One, and here he drove uh, for the McLaren team. Uh, also here, a new team, and uh, they hadn't been able to offer a seat for each race. So he also drove the Lotus 25 in the beginning and uh, the last race, an Eagle T1F for the new uh, All-American uh, racing team, uh, but also without bigger success. Yes, exactly. And uh, you can see uh, the photo of Phil Hill in 1962, right? Uh, yeah. Driving with the number one, but unfortunately not being very competitive that year. Yes, exactly. Well, he was a reigning champion that year. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And what the technology is quite an impressive list uh, of uh, cars that he has driven. I mean, primarily, obviously, Ferraris. But, yep. uh, you know, a lot of other things as well. 
Aston Martin and Ford and yeah. Uh, exactly. So he started first with the Italian uh, Oscar before he started 54 uh, with Ferrari, which showroom he stayed until 62. And after this, he switched a little bit between Aston Martin, Ford, and uh, at the end, he drove the very impressive Chaparrales in the uh, Can-Am with their big, huge wings. So, mm -hmm. quite impressive cars if you see them. And, uh, uh, yes, and uh, I, I think uh, he won three uh, times, Le Mans, had been very successful. And uh, due to this, I think he was based on his character, based on his driving style, maybe a little bit more an expert on these endurance races than directly in the sprint races as uh, Formula One. Yes, yes, and uh, yeah, and you could uh, actually, I mean, I'm quite impressed uh, with uh, the list. Uh, must be, must have been quite a, quite a big shift, for example, from uh, Ferrari and Aston Martin to say Ford, <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I mean, you know, we, uh, like we mentioned before, I mean, yeah, there was this uh, sort of uh, Ford Ferrari rivalry uh, in, in, in Le Mans mm -hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, as an American, he probably was probably also very important for him to drive an American car. Exactly. At least at the end of your career, um, we see often that uh, drivers go to the national team or to another team which whom they have, let's say, more an emotional uh, bonding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with this, uh, we come to some of his quotes. As we discussed in the beginning, he was a quite uh, smart person. So we have, uh, we found a lot of uh, words from him directly. Yeah, and he was a native English speaker, so that helps exactly. as well. <laughs> I have, I, uh, I think uh, whenever we we have someone from a different uh, back, cultural background, uh, then we struggle. But in this case, yeah, a lot of uh, quotes. Yeah, the first quote underlines what we already said in the beginning. He was more an introspective uh, person. And so uh, he said this also about himself. I'm in the wrong business. I don't want to beat anybody. I don't want to be the big hero. I'm a peace-loving man, basically. So he really, he started uh, racing because he, he was, I think, enjoying the car, uh, which also, uh, I think, uh, underlines the way he enters. I mean, he's, he uh, left university to become a mechanic for... Uh, for racing cars, so it shows, I think, that uh, his passion was with the car and uh, due to this, it was logically that after his active career, he focused uh, on uh, restoration of cars. So I think uh, his uh, first passion uh, was the machine itself uh, and uh, not the competing uh, against others. Right, that's right. And uh, yeah, we, we kind of uh, mentioned before that he seemed to be quite an introverted person. So I'm just uh, curious how he ended up in the movies. <laughs> but then again, he is there, you know, driving essentially. So yes, uh, but remember, uh, his, uh, he had two roles. I mean, he participated uh, in the movie, but may, uh, mostly he was uh, doing uh, the shoots as 
being behind uh, the camera. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, a U.S. Uh, movie had to feature the U.S. Uh, champion. So uh, there was no way for him to say no to such an offer. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, again, uh, the sort of the... Uh, uh, it, it, it did come up in, in several uh, episodes, uh, you know, when we, we discussed how, you know, the, the drivers would uh, finish career because they just thought that the risk was too high, right? And uh, yeah, the second quote kind of also talks about that, where he says that I'm, I'm no longer willing to risk killing myself, yeah. And, uh, exactly. This is uh, what he said uh, after the 61 season, after he won, but uh, seeing that uh, his teammate uh, was uh, killed. So I think this made him uh, think a lot. Uh, I mean, he wa I think even before he wasn't uh, the kind of driver always being at the limit, but maybe driving a little bit smarter, sometimes maybe a little bit slower, but due to this uh, finishing the race and uh, in opposite to many others uh, surviving these years. But, uh, but I mean, and maybe also this was one um, of the reasons why his 61 season wasn't that successful anymore because, I mean, he said it himself, uh, he wasn't that motivated again. He wasn't uh, willing uh, to risk uh, his life uh, to win uh, the championship or the race. And maybe without being being open to risk your life to able to win, I mean, with this you are, you lose some seconds uh, each lap, and uh, with this you cannot win the championship. At least not in the beginning of the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say it like when we talk about legacy, but I think it, uh, it, it it's good to discuss it now. So to me, I mean, he's like a real sort of professional driver, you know, yeah. like before we had people who are very, who are very passionate and kind of struggled because they were passionate and kind of yeah. uh, were unsure because they were so passionate and very emotional. And some are probably not so emotional, but still calculating and wanting to win. I mean, this guy is basically like a con contractor, more or less, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm a professional, I can do this job. So it's a job, right? So racing yeah. is a job. Um, and, but, you know, and it's amazing how it worked out for him, right? It did work out for him in Le Mans, just ba basically being very professional, very weighted and very sort of um, rational, yeah. you know, that way. Uh, it's like, what can I do as a, prof as a professional, as an expert here? Uh, and it, you know, surprisingly also worked for him in Formula One, where we do not see many of such people. You know, I think we often see people who want to win at all costs. And, uh, you know, really, yeah. you know, very, very fixated on winning. And, you know, yeah, in, in this case, I, I, yeah. I, I agree that he was a very logical driver. Mm -hmm. um, I want to relate, relate um, relative um, a little bit that he wasn't uh, passionate, but I think his passion was uh, driving these this wonderful machines. It wasn't, maybe he was less passionate in the competition as others. Yeah, yeah. Due to this, he, he was more logical um, and uh, 
and so, so not surprising that he studied business administration before becoming a driver. Yeah, yeah. So, so what I what I meant was he was he had yeah. like rather professional interest, you know, like I as a um, as a kind of obviously person who liked cars. Yeah. It's uh, you know, but in terms of his driving career, I mean, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's just a job, right? I mean, to do your job well, you need to win. Yeah. You know, that's kind of expected well, and required, yes. but it's not really like you know i'm i'm gonna be cool like by by winning that so i think you know i think this is the type of guy who would say you know yeah i won le mans so what right <laughs> so that's that, that's yeah. that's you can you can imagine him saying that yeah yeah mm -hmm. i agree so like that. so what it's my job right it's my job to win yeah yeah so exactly and uh, i mean practically the next uh, quote is going in that uh, direction if you can make sure that you always work as hard as you can on and off the ice, you will be achieve your goals. It might not be instantly, it might not be next week, but you will get to where you want to be. So this shows clearly a professional uh, mindset, which makes clear it's not about, uh, not only about uh, talent, not only about passion, but it's really hard uh, work. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, professional athletics or like some, some other you know, yeah, professional activity, yeah, basically, yeah. you know, when it's not about, you know, it's, yeah, like he said in the previous quote, it's not about being a hero, it's just a job. It's a job and I can do it well, you know, I want exactly. to do it well, you know, so I'm, uh, in a sense, I'm a workaholic, right? So that's, that's it. That's a workaholic professional. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And he perfectly understands what makes a successful uh, corporate uh, atmosphere, uh, listen to people, gain advice and gain the respect of your fellow teammates, make sure you put in the hours and you, you'll have fun. So, and, and this is also important if you speak that he was uh, uh, like an employee, uh, he saw it as a work, but it's always important that you have fun at your work and I think he had fun with his work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I don't mean I don't mean that you know if you're a professional, you have to hate your job. No, of course not. But um, but it's still like more of a, you know like more of a, like it is my job and I, I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing it well. But if it's it is just a job, so I'm not gonna go an extra. You know, I'm not gonna go like two hundred and fifty percent. I'm just gonna be at my one hundred percent, and it will be it will be good, you know, good performance. And uh, if it happens to be, you know, uh, a winning, then, you know, great. But it's, you know, it's not because I'm willing to compromise everything in order to win. Yeah, it's a very professional kind of uh, exactly. expert, uh, expert uh, mindset, yeah. And uh, the practically, uh, it continues uh, with uh, some quotes which you can use for all um, motivational trainings. Uh, for the team to be successful, we've got to set team goals. I go out every game and make sure that I'm contributing, whether that's defensively or offensively. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, when I read this uh, second quote on, uh, on, uh, on this slide, if you, yeah. if you get, I mean, if you guys are listening to this or if you're watching us, 
I bet this is what your parents always told you. If you get your education, then you've got your platform set up for you. <laughs> I definitely can imagine my parents telling me this. I mean, it's pretty much like almost exactly. You're right. <laughs> just get your education and then you can do whatever. Like we don't care. <laughs> so just get, get educated. So in case... This doesn't work. If in case this doesn't work out, you always have your <laughs> your diploma, whatever you know. So <laughs> yeah, so so it's very like I said, you know, very kind of. If you get your education, then you get uh, you, you've got your platform set up for you. Yeah. Yeah. So very rational character, and not the party guy, as many other. And maybe as the typical cliche of a Formula One driver, mm -hmm. so it was yeah. practically the, the opposite of the cliche. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it continues. Uh, he, he not only underlines that it's important uh, to go to the gym, work out, but also he underlines the importance of the uh, correct diet. So he to look what you are eating. Uh, so he was very very uh, professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the last one I uh, quote, I've found on uh, different sources. Unfortunately, I couldn't identify in which um, aspect or where he said it. So, uh, this is a total lack of respect of our country and our natural resources. It's sick. What has the world uh, come uh, to be? So, I mean, a, a quote, uh, very actual, if we, if we discuss uh, environmental... Yeah, is uh, it about climate change, I was going to ask. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll try to look it up now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe you find it. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, especially uh, if we uh, remember that he is a U.S. citizen, uh, this is uh, something uh, which, uh, if he still would be alive, he could say in many occasions here in uh, 2020, if we see the environmental politics here in the USA. So, mm -hmm. yeah. so a, a quite interesting uh, quote uh, from him, which, which again shows uh, that he had uh, education and that he wasn't uh, limited on uh, motorsports, but also made up, made up his mind uh, about other relevant uh, topics and uh, I'm sure he also understood that uh, motorsports is something uh, beautiful, something also important, but it's not uh, everything what we should uh, think about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, I can't really find uh, the exact context. Um, it seems to be, yeah, like has to do with over exploitation of natural resources but uh, yes yeah, this is thought too but i didn't found the concrete um, context where he said it mm -hmm. but nevertheless i found it uh, interesting as this is really something which uh, you could say uh, today yes indeed indeed mm -hmm. yeah so yeah Never. Yeah, behavior. Yeah, so we've uh, obviously again discussed uh, quite a lot about about this guy. Uh, yeah, and uh, in in terms of character, definitely, um, like I said, very professional, very weighted, very 
you know, not, not, not very emotional <laughs> character, let's just say. Um, um, yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of notable wins for him, I still think it, it is the Formula One win in 1961. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, like in terms of, you know, Le, Le Mans and the long, long, uh, long distance sort of racing, uh, he was very, definitely very uh, prof, prof, proficient in, in that. And, you know, uh, I think the Formula One uh, championship win definitely stands out in that regard. So it's quite a... Uh, quite out of out of line type of thing for him so i guess that would be the notable win i, I agree even if i think that le mans in the 1960s uh, had a, maybe a higher importance than it has today in 2020 or for let's say since the 2000s i think in 1960s le mans was really something much more important than uh, than today yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I'm just saying for his career, like since yeah. we're talking about him and his career, it's m sort of more of a significant event for, for his career than, than I, I guess, Le Mans. Uh, but obviously, I mean, if we take uh, the effort, you know, it's, yeah, it's probably quite a lot more demanding. Um, so that's in terms of the win. Um, yeah, again, I mean, because he was so rational and not like an extreme risk taker, that's probably why, again, we do not have a good contender for, I mean, at least I don't have a good a good contender for an accident. No, and uh, if you have time and you uh, like to uh, dig, um, dig a little bit deeper into his um, biography, I can recommend you this uh, quite long article back from 1976, the winner who walked away. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and here they also explained a little bit uh, that he maybe wasn't uh, the best, the fastest, but he was very, had a lot of discipline. And, method, uh, yeah, he this, had a method, yeah. And uh, exactly as you say, he had a method and uh, with this, uh, on the long run, he was uh, successful not only on long run races like the more Sabring, but also over the time in uh, Formula One season. And also, uh, um, he was really, uh, as you said, he never had any notable uh, accident. Uh, and uh, of course, it was also luck because there could have been uh, broken something on a car. If you're losing a, a wing, it doesn't matter if you drive uh, two seconds slower then, uh, then uh, the leading driver, I mean, you can uh, die also uh, uh, with that. So it was also, of course, luck, but I mean, he not pushed his luck. He never went that to the extreme, to the limit. He not overstepped the limit. And due to this, uh, he was uh, one of the fewer drivers uh, who really uh, survived the 1950s, 1960s. And then, yeah, you have a nice quote uh, on the slide, actually, and uh, that actually says that Hill was never in an accident for which he had, he had to be hosp hospitalized. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's a big, that's also kind of supports this, uh, this uh, statement about his accidents. Exactly, but, and, and I mean, uh, and with not driving uh, over the limit, of course, uh, 
you also take care of your car and uh, with this you reduce the risk that some something uh, breaks yeah we will read uh, in a moment uh, this uh, quote from uh, uh stealing moss about uh, about phil, phil hill but you know i also wanted to say that he's such an unlikely character and that's probably why he's i think one of the most uh, under underappreciated people in formula one because normally you know when you when we talk about formula one champions we always talk about this like deeply charismatic you know uh, folks that are very Uh, again, like lots of passion, lots of emotions, yeah. uh, uh, big egos. And yeah. this guy, I mean, you know, he could have like, uh, you know, like Patrick, like you said, he probably could have been a great manager, business developer somewhere and just happened to like to drive and he perfected this uh, skill, right? So, and it was a skill for him. It's just... Uh, you know, something that he liked to do and he decided to make it his career and he was very uh, methodologically kind of training his uh, uh, skills as a driver and uh, it was his job and he did it well. So that's, uh, that's probably why like not many people remember him in Formula One history. Uh, it's just because he was such a... But it also tells you that, you know, you you can actually achieve quite a lot with obviously enough luck uh, being in a good team. But, you know, if you just work, you know, <laughs> if you hard work actually pays off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And with this, uh, we are coming to his legacy. And as you said, he... Yeah, he I just wanted to kind of read this, this quote that you found oh, that was on the previous slide. Yeah. Yeah, as a, yeah, so this is from the from Pat Jordan's book, The Winner Who Walked Away, that Patrick mentioned, and it's, it's, a, it's a quite a, interesting, uh, quite long uh, article. So uh, we will mm -hmm. put also the link directly under our video, so you can easily uh, find it. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yeah, it's um, and uh, so yeah, and uh, and the quote uh, goes like this: as a Formula One driver. He was never the fastest in the world, uh, but during the early 60s, he was the best. He, having learned discipline and restraint, finished an extraordinary 80% of the time. He was never uh, in an accident for which he had to be hospitalized, nor did he have a reputation for breaking cars. He was a perfectionist about cars and the tracks over which he drove. And uh, that's a quote from Stirling Moss. But effectively, you know, this is, yeah, so we, we're talking about effectively a workaholic, you know, professional. <laughs> this is probably the most uh, unimagin unimaginative characteristic we have given to a Formula, Formula One driver before, but having said that i mean you know he was he was a very very good driver and uh, he won the you know the world championship so uh, and he won uh, he he was extremely efficient in uh, in uh, uh, yeah long distance racing and uh, so you just have to admire the 
so in, in, if in other cases we admire the charisma and the talent and the passion, in this case we admire the hard work and the method. And uh, yeah, you know, this uh, sort of discipline, this is the word, discipline. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, okay, and that's Kaniso uh, with this. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, he was really a good uh, manager and uh, uh, he had his uh, uh, own uh, trust. He was an expert and uh, lived a happy life even after uh, Formula One. Yeah, and I know, in, uh, like, like you said, he was a very successful manager of his own, uh, uh, of his own company after he retired, but above all he probably was a very ma successful manager of himself <laughs> and, uh, that's uh, uh, that's uh, a, a trait that not many formula one drivers possess definitely but he did yeah so that's uh, phil hill for you that's phil hill and uh, and uh, this is a page uh, unfortunately last time updated uh, 2011 yeah. But uh, it's it's still online. Yeah. So um, it's not uh, yeah like we said it's not easy to find. Uh, you will probably not find many pictures of this guy kind of just uh, in non-professional setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but nevertheless, uh, do read the article, um, um, and um, hopefully you will. Uh, gain some new knowledge about this guy so definitely he's definitely worth your attention exactly so this was quite interesting to speak about and uh, as he's a quite unlikely character in opposite to others yes exactly so again um just to reiterate we are on all possible media <laughs> including youtube and do let us know if we missed anything important or if you have a different opinion or you have the same opinion. Uh, so we're always uh, happy to hear your, um, your thoughts. And uh, yeah, uh, we will see you next time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.